All right, everybody, let's go ahead and come on in and make our way to our seats. We'll wrap up our getting those sheets. Thanks to Lakin. Is Lakin in here? Or Lakin might be in teaching Sunday school or nursery or something. But Lakin brought by uh, Great Harvest Snacks. And so if you want some of those, uh, feel free to head to the back and grab some and um, enjoy the holiday festivities. Been... Uh, been trying to regulate the holiday food festivities because I know when the time comes I want to be ready so <laughs> and then I'll pig out uh, hopefully uh, next starting next week all right let's open up our Bibles to Isaiah 55 Isaiah 55 we're continuing our work through the second half of Isaiah we've come through Isaiah so far, and we, rem- we might remember that Isaiah had a very long ministry. Um, Isaiah ministry, his uh, ministry spanned over 40 years, and at least four different kings of Judah. Uh, Isaiah was one of the longest standing prophets, and Isaiah was also quite a writer. His writing style is what many consider to be the pinnacle of Old Testament Hebrew literature. And I would agree with that. I, I think his writing reaches heights that just make you soar. Uh, when we think of uh, verses like, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and we shall call his name Emmanuel. Or, uh, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Then we come to Isaiah 53, and we read of the suffering servant and the trespasses that have been or the, the, the chastisement of our peace is laid upon him and so much of the beauty of our language is informed by what Isaiah wrote and a really phenomenal writer and um, we might remember that in this section of scripture he is writing to people who are tremendously blessed by God. At this stage in his life, Hezekiah is probably the king, and Hezekiah is a good king. The people are prospering in the land. They have wine to go around. They have food in the cellar. They have solid roofs over their head. Nobody's worried about where the next meal is going to come from. But Isaiah is telling them that all of that is going to change. All of that is going to change in a very big way. God's people in the not-too-distant future, are going to be carried away by the nation Babylon. And when that happens, there's going to be great fear and anxiety and dread. And though Isaiah is writing to people who are living at the height of Judah's prosperity, let's call Solomon's the greatest height, but Hezekiah's was not too far behind it. And so you've got people living in this glorious kingdom peace on every side, but their grandchildren won't experience that. And Isaiah is writing to people who are going to be hard-pressed. So yes, he's writing directly to people who are prospering, but these words should be preserved for the people who are going to be facing hard times. Let's not forget that. These are words for people who are facing hard times. And let's recover, too, what we've just been covering in Isaiah 53 and 54. In Isaiah 
53, God says that he is going to pay for the sins of the people with this suffering servant. God is sending his suffering servant who, though he himself is innocent, though he himself is guiltless, the brutal punishment that we deserve will be laid upon him. And we remember, if you were here for those sections in Isaiah 53, we discovered the violence with which this servant will be treated and how harshly he'll be condemned because of us. And then we come to Isaiah 54, which we covered last week. Not entirely, but we got a lot of it done. And God says that because I've, Isaiah 53, paid for your sins, I'm going to reverse your fortunes. Yes, you were struggling. Yes, you were hurting. Yes, you had come under my chastisement for some period of time. But I want you to know that's changing. And once I reverse your fortunes, I want you to plan for blessing. Plan for me to do great things. Yes, your number might be small right now, but that's going to change entirely. When I get rolling with the blessings that I have reserved for you, you will wish that you had widened your tents open and made room for me to do amazing things among you. That's what God is telling these people who are hurting, who are going to be hurting. Now, when we come to Isaiah 55, part of growing in the Lord is learning how sections of Scripture work with each other. So over here, we have God telling his people, I am going to send a servant to pay for your sins. And in Isaiah 54, I'm going to reverse your fortunes and send tremendous blessing on you. Now that begs the question, how do we get those? How do we make those ours? How do we get access to them? And that's where Isaiah 55 comes in. How do you have applied to you the ministry of the suffering servant? How do you receive God's reversal of fortune? How do you receive this blessing that he intends to pour out on you? Well, Isaiah 55 gives you the answer. It tells you how you can get these tremendous blessings of the Lord. So let's pick up our reading in Isaiah 55 with that in mind. God says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear to me and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the people. Behold, you shall call a nation that you did not know, a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. 
Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, if you like to keep notes in your Bible, there are a series of statements you need to note. What word does verse 8 begin with? What word does verse 9 begin with? How about 10? How about 12? Exactly. Now, this is a very simple Hebrew word, but it doesn't mean so much for. It means more like we use for all the time. Like um, if, I were to, if I were to break into more formal language with my wife, I would, I would say, I boughtest thou a latte, for I lovest thou thee. <laughs> well what have I just told her I got her I bought her a latte why because I love her and that's our idea here because because and he's going to give us four becauses because my thoughts are not your thoughts because as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to the earth, making it grow up, because you shall go out in joy. Uh, these are the reasons God is telling us his, his, his comfort has a reason. His comfort has a reason. Okay? And he's going to tell us what those reasons are. Okay? So let's go back to the... Oh, wait a minute. I didn't read those. <laughs> Sorry. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, which is a very useful tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Um, does anybody know what medicine we get from myrtle trees? Ibuprofen. Okay. It, this tree has medicinal value. Um, so instead of a briar, which punctures your skin, you have medicine, is what he's saying. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Okay? Now, let's begin back at the beginning. How do... Let's... We've got Isaiah 53. God wants to pay for your sins. Isaiah 54. God wants to reverse your fortunes. Isaiah 55. How do you get those two things? How do you get those two things? Well, the first thing we have to do is come to the Lord. Okay? You want those things? Come to the Lord. Let's read the text. I want us to notice how many different times God says, come. First word, come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the water. <laughs> and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money. And then later on, down here in verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Go down. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. 
what the Lord is saying here is, I want you to come to me. I want you to return to me. There's a, a, a distance here in the soul. You are far away. You have run away from me. But I want you to come back. Now, this very first word of the passage, come, is a little different Hebrew word, but then it takes a different form later. And it's uh, actually, if you want to learn a Hebrew word today, it's the word hoy. Like, listen up. Take heart. Take notice. Listen, it would be like um, during a, a halftime of a football game. The team is losing. They're down on their luck. And they're bickering among themselves in the locker room. Well, the game's not out of reach yet. The coach comes in and sees what's going on, and he says, hey, knock it off. Listen up. And then what happens? Everybody knocks it off and listens up, right? And then they come back in the second half, and maybe they win the game. That's coach calls them to attention. Stop what you're doing and listen to the one who's in charge. That's what God is doing here. He's saying, stop and listen. Come back to me. Come back to me. God throws out with this idea of coming back to him this huge invitation. He says, come, he who has no money, because what I'm offering you can't be bought with it. (laughs) So he's talking to everybody, whether you have money or whether you don't have money. Whatever Whatever situation in life this message finds you, come back. Come back regardless of your means. Come back regardless of your position. Because what I am offering you are delights that can't be bought with money. What is it that he's offering? He says, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come down here, he says, listen diligent to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. The idea of wine and milk. Wine is a a fickle thing in the ancient world. I'm assuming it's still a fickle thing today. But it requires that the grapes grow on the vine for several years before they harvest uh, vintage that's worth keeping. Prior to that, I think it's too bitter for production. Then once it's it's taken, it requires a very stable growing environment. And then those grapes, the juice of the grapes, has to be preserved, disturbance-free for quite some time. Wine, therefore, was not just a symbol of joy, something um, rare and... um, costly to serve at a party with friends. But wine also represented a stability of life that couldn't be had if you were always on the run. That couldn't be had if you were nomads going from place to place. Wine was the product of settlement. Wine was the product of peace. You couldn't have it unless God had done many other things in your life around you to create structure and stability so that you could have it. So when God says, come and take my wine, there's a symbol of joy and feasting there, but also this idea of stability and permanence. When he says, come get milk, that's the same thing. Milk was, we're spoiled nowadays. Milk is a delicacy in the ancient world. How, however, could you 
get milk and preserve it? How could you cool it and keep it chilled? How could you uh, effectively keep it effectively long enough to turn it into butter? You know, <laughs> they could. They had that. They knew how to do that. But it was an issue of preservation, and milk products had to be consumed very quickly within their creation, or they would go bad. And so, milk and cream and cheese, these were, again, um, products of blessedness in the land. You couldn't produce those things if you're always on the run. It was challenging to do that if you were nomads walking through the desert. And so these two gifts were of milk and uh, wine were products of stability and peace in the land. This is what God is promising. He says here, delight yourselves in rich food. Rich food. This uh, refers, uh, this word rich food is the idea of um, delicacy. Okay? Um, this is the word used of a princess who wouldn't even deign to touch her foot to the ground without having some covering on top of it. Okay. She has her pedicure done. She's wearing very fancy, expensive sandals. And she can't allow her delicate little foot to touch the dust. And so she has servants roll out things in front of her so that her feet are always... That's a, a Bible concept for this type of person. So God is saying, come and delight in these rich foods. But... We have to ask ourselves, is, is that what God is talking about? Is he talking about the finest delicacies? Is he talking about the greatest vintage? Is he talking about the creamiest cheese? Well, I don't think so. Look at verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear to me and come here that your soul might live. Here that your soul might live. And what God is offering is rich food, delicacies, beverages of stability and joy and cheer that will harden, be hearty and satisfy your soul and rest your soul like a cup of warm milk right before bed. But it's not physical things. Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? You can, you can eat some bacon-wrapped filet mignon. I can't think of anything more delicate and wonderful than that. Some of you guys might have a different opinion, but that's, that's my love language right there, bacon-wrapped steak. Okay. But guess what? I'll eat that, and what happens to me tomorrow? I'm hungry again. But God says, I'm going to give you sustenance for the soul. I'm going to give you food for your mind. And not just meat and potatoes. I'm going to wow you with delicacies for your soul when you come back to me. And I'm going to stabilize you 
and allow you to prosper in these soul food type things. And what God is talking about here is this. He's talking to somebody a while back, this is several years ago. Did not know God. Did not know God. Life was in shambles. Life was off the rails. A lot of fear. A lot of fear in that life. A lot of fear of what was going to happen next. A lot of fear of what family would think. Just a lot of fear. This person came to know the Lord. Came to know the Lord. And their life started to turn around in dramatic ways. I asked them later what had changed about their life. And I didn't mean it this way. I didn't mean it this way. What I was trying to communicate to him was, since turning your life over to God, at the beginning of this journey, you thought you you were totally overwhelmed in despair. My life will never improve. It can't improve. But look now. Look back on all the blessings that you have in your life. That's That's sort of where I was trying to take him. But he actually did me one better. He said, well, everything changed. I said, well, why is that? And he said, because now I know God. And what he meant was everything changed. Everything changed because one thing changed. Now he knows God. And now trials are not seen as, you know, life throwing him lemons. (laughs) Now blessing is not seen as something to be greedily taken in and lusted after again. Everything changed because he got God. And that's what the passage is saying here. Do you want your sins taken care of? Do you want blessing? Do you want riches and delights for your soul? Come to God. Come to God and then Everything changes. Okay? Now, you might be asking yourself, okay, how do I come to God? How does that happen? Do I just raise my hand and volunteer and say, God, here I am. God is everywhere. How can you go? <laughs> Anywhere you go, God is, David says. Where should I flee? From, where can I flee from your presence? If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost part of the sea, there you're with me. And then there your right hand shall guide you. So how do you, how do you get connected to God? You're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this passage. I know I need to come to God, but how does one do that? Well, if I could illustrate how to come to God with one motion, it would be this. Everybody ready? I want you to watch. This is what it looks like to come to God. Okay, you ready? You start listening. You start actually straining your ear to hear the voice of God. That's how you come. Let's read it here in the passage. He says, Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. And then here's our word. Incline your ear and come to me. These are one and the same actions. Incline your ear and come to me. 
And the idea of inclining error is exactly what I just showed you. It, it, it literally means taking your hand and cupping it over your ear and straining and trying to hear something very specifically. You strain your neck out. Can I hear God? Hear that your soul may live. Now, God is going to tell us, God is going to tell us down in verses 9 and forward that when we come to God by inclining our ear and listening to him, he's going to tell us things and he's going to give us instruction. And there's an expectation that when we incline our ear and when we, we listen for the Lord, that we're not listening for bare information. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul went to Mars Hill? He said there were several people who did nothing all day long but sit around and listen for some new thing to be heard. This is like the person who comes to the Bible as a, a, as a sort of academic treatise. And you know, there are so many things academically in the Bible to discover. There's fields of learning that you could never master. Uh, you, you might be able to get one field of learning in your entire lifetime if you dedicated yourself to that. But Bible scholarship, you, you can go any number of directions and spend a lifetime in that one little category. There's enough archaeology and theology and language and you name it, church history, to take up several lifetimes of study. But the person who engages God's words in a merely academic fashion, they stretch out their ear and they hear, but James says they're like a man who looks in the mirror and sees something wrong and goes his own way, and that's such a foolish thing to do. There's an assumption here that when we come by hearing, we'll realize that God has some correctives for us. Or maybe not even correctives, just ways he wants us to think. And when we realize that there's a new way we need to think, or there's something that we need to correct, there is an assumption in this passage, and in fact later on a command, that we will eagerly change our ways to meet what God is asking. Okay? Let, let's look at this. Seek the Lord, verse 6, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Okay, seek, call, stretch out your ear, call, listen, and then hear whatever he has to say and go home and forget about it? No, no. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Okay, when, we, when we want the blessings of God, when we want this delight, this rich food for the soul, and we incline our ear to God, we do not get the blessings if, when we see change that needs to be made, we steadfastly resist that change and carry, about, carry on with our lives as though we hadn't heard. Now you say, man, that sounds, that sounds like a kind of a hard way. I come to the Lord and he tells me everything that's wrong with me? I had a boss like that. I had a boss like that. 
I didn't much like that boss, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'd say, hey, boss, I did this and this and this, and um, what would you like to do next? Yeah, well, you did that wrong and that wrong and this wrong. And, you know, I, I'm a little old school in that I don't feel like if I'm an employee, I don't need to be told good job along with getting paid. Like if the boss pays me, I'm like, great. <laughs> Must have done a good enough job. Okay, But this boss was a little on the extreme side. I do think if you're a boss, you need to tell your employees they're doing a good job, by the way. And that's, that's good. That's good. Um, I'm just saying some bosses aren't like that. This fellow was, this fellow was over the top critical. And uh, it was okay. <laughs> um, but after a while, I didn't really want to go back to that boss for um, to submit my work. I, I would do the work, but, you know, just you kind of get a little distance, right, when, when what you're always getting back is criticism in return. So is that what it's like with God? You're like, okay, I want to come back to God. I want to have his blessings, but... Man, he's going to tell me everything that's wrong with me. Well, first of all, let's remember what he says. I'm offering you delicacies. I'm offering you rich food. I'm offering you wine and milk. He's not offering scorpions. He's not offering harsh. He's offering blessings beyond your wildest imaginations. When he does have a correction... Let's look and see what his attitude is. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This idea of abundant pardon, it, it literally means, if you want a literal translation of this, for he shall cause greatness upon his pardon. He shall cause greatness, bigness, giantness upon his pardon. God will tell us in his word how he wants us to think. God will tell us in his word how he wants us to live. And we cry out and we say, oh God, I, that's not me right now. I'm God's compassion. God pities us as a father pities his children, we're told. God throws the pardon wide open. God equips you with everything you need to follow his will. And there's never a harshness in God's correction, but always a smiling face of compassion and pity and warmth. Okay. And remember, what he has in his hands for you are delicacies for your soul, food without price, wine and milk that you can't buy. And so everything about God is an invitation to come and taste. Though, yes, there will be some correctives along the way. Now, God is going to give us reasons why we should return like this. Okay? Why should we return? Why should we come back to him? Why should we listen to him? Why should we take this, this free blessing that he's offering? And that's where those becauses come in. Okay, Number one, 
because my pardon is beyond all comprehension. Let's look at verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is what the Lord says. He will abundantly pardon. My thoughts are not your thoughts. See, doesn't God always remember what I do? Isn't, isn't there always sort of something between us like it is between humans? And God says, no, I can think differently than you. I can not recall your sins to mind. I can put your sins extremely far out of my mind. I don't relate to you like others relate to you. I don't relate to you like you relate to others. Come back to me and I will pardon you. I will be merciful to you. And because I'm the Lord your God, I am capable of that. And you don't understand yet how merciful and compassionate and loving and forgiving I am. So God is sort of heading off at the pass right now this idea that we're going to be overwhelmed by our sins in the light of his holiness. I will, my, my goodness really is that good. The second reason he wants us to return to him, because God's word will draw other people to himself through your deliverance. God will draw other people to himself through your deliverance. Let's look right here. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is saying, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm calling to you. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing your attention. Listen up, come. And when you come to the Lord, when you stretch out your ear and when you listen to the Lord, you start doing the things of the Lord. And as you do that, as you do that, you change. And as sure as the rain waters the field and things sprout up, so it is that God will begin to work through you in the lives of those around you. The greatest testimony for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is change. Change that can't be seen. A stability, a peace, an utter turnaround in earthly desires. Things that you don't produce yourself. And suddenly somebody looks into you and sees They see settledness. They see a person who, yes, abhors sin, but has incredible pity and mercy and compassion on those afflicted by their sin. They see somebody who's a lot like God, who gives freely. And suddenly they say, what gives? <laughs> what gives with that person? And God says, as sure, as sure as the rain comes down and waters the fields, so will this affect you and other people's lives. When we come to the Lord with our ear inclined and a heart to change and an attitude of God's compassion, 
we change. And that word in our lives creates change in others. The third reason. The third reason God wants us to come back to him is that his healing really is that good. Okay? Because you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up this cypress tree, which is big and broad and beautiful and can be used in all sorts of building applications. As we mentioned before, instead of a briar which pokes at you and pops your bicycle tires and gets stuck in your sandals, instead of those awful goat heads will come up the healing power of the myrtle tree. It shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God's healing really is that good. And I often find in talking with people that they get brought, they, they realize that their ways are an error and that they're causing their own trouble, right? God's word is brought to bear in the situation, and they're given a choice. Keep following my ways, or do an about-face and follow God's word, right? We've all been brought to that point, right? Now, when you're there, sometimes it really sounds awful to you to follow God's ways. Paul says that in that moment, actually, if you're dealing with an unsaved person, God's way smells to them like death. And, and they, they do not want that, and they would rather continue on this path of self-destruction than turn their ways to God. I remember this, uh, several years ago, went to a coffee shop, and there was a young lady there who had um, arm covered in tattoos, um, she had. She's a single mom. Had several children, and on her arm were several satanic tattoos. And I invited her to. Uh, it was the Christmas Eve service. I invited her to that. And she said, "Well, you don't want me to come." And I said, "Well, why not? Of course I do." She said, "I'm a witch." I said, "Well, you'd be the perfect person to come." <laughs> and she said, "I don't want to come." I remembered her name then. I don't remember it now. But I said her name, and I said, you've tried everything. You've tried everything. And none of it's made you happy. Why don't you try this? And she said, you're right. I have tried everything. But I'm not doing it. Here's a person who's willing to try everything under the sun except for God. the healing that could have been hers. I don't know whatever happened to her. She moved on in life, and maybe the Lord has used some of that conversation at some other point. But if you're standing there at sort of that crossroad, listen to what God is offering. Healing, joy, feast for the soul, security, stability. And consider that. Incline your ear to it and move toward it. And then you can have that suffering servant who took care of your sins, and then you can have that 
reversal of fortunes. And on top of all that, you get God and all that he brings. Let's pray. Father, would you give us grace to choose the path that listens to your voice, that heeds your word and hearkens unto you. And I pray that you would draw us to yourselves. May we find you to be the healing, saving, pardoning God whose love is so beyond our comprehension that it will take an eternity to unfold it to us. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.